When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock in the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. On today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Sue Redfern, the first female cricketer to have played and officiated at a Cricket World Cup. And in 2021, Sue became the first woman to officiate in an England men's home match as the fourth official against Sri Lanka at Cardiff. Welcome, Sue Redfern, MBE. Thank you, Stephen. Great to be here. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. And talking about the MBE, I wanted to ask you, what was that day like and who, who was the person that presented you with your MBE? Yeah, it was uh, it was a very special day. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Had my uh, close family and my partner with me, uh, and it was uh, Prince Charles, so uh, Prince of Wales, uh, presented me with the award. That must be a very special day for you and for cricket. Yeah, something that uh, for for one minute I never imagined that would be something that would certainly be in my career. I was very surprised uh, when I actually received the letter informing me of the nomination. I I honestly thought I was in trouble. It looked a very official letter and I thought I'd done something wrong. Uh, So uh, when I opened it, I was uh, a bit shocked, to be honest. So uh, don't know who nominated me. Very, very honoured and very thankful. Uh, And yeah, it's very special. It's something that uh, certainly I don't think I'll ever uh, outweigh that. Uh, You know, I feel very lucky to be awarded that. Well, you've certainly had an incredibly varied cricketing career and we've got lots to talk about, but how did it all start start for you cricket-wise? Yeah, I suppose like many people in cricket, uh, there's a couple of routes in. Uh, for me, uh, I had a cricket mad dad and a brother, an older brother, a couple of years older than me. And uh, we were a very sporty family. Uh, so as a youngster growing up, played lots of different sports. My brother was very much into his cricket. Uh, and, and I suppose I just followed in his footsteps, really. And eventually at the age of 16, uh, made the decision that cricket was going to be my main sport. Uh, and uh, yeah, it took off from there really. You say 16, it wasn't long after that you made your England debut in July 1995 against the Netherlands in Ireland. That's right. So literally, uh, I'd been playing uh, for a women's cricket club since the age of 13, uh, because when I was playing, uh, there was no, there was really no girls cricket. So uh, adult cricket was was really my route in. But uh, yeah, I played junior England. I was selected for uh, the full England team just after the 1993 World Cup win. Uh, so I joined, I was in the stands in 1993 for the uh, for the World Cup at Lords, where uh, I watched some of my uh, 
county counterparts playing on the pitch. And then the following winter, I, w- I was actually training alongside in an England uh, training camp with with some of those winners, you know, who I was cheering for, just like everybody else in the stands that day, uh, with some of my heroes uh, on the pitch. So it was all a very surreal experience, Stephen. It was, uh, yeah, again, just felt very, uh, you know, starstruck, if I'm being honest. Well, I had to get this in, but um, your actual debut, Catherine Leng, who has um, been on this podcast a couple of times, Catherine was uh, a guest in episode 56. She made a debut in that same game against against Holland in Dublin. Yep, yep. So uh, obviously similar age uh, and uh, we, we represented England at a similar time. Uh, Catherine, obviously, uh, you know, very much uh, a different style of bowler who could bat at that point. Uh, so, uh, yeah, kind of like played alongside Catherine for a, for a good number of years. Good memory, so, Stephen. I'm, I'm sure she'll like that. She, will, she does tune into some <laughs> of the podcasts. So Excellent. she's got to listen to this one now, hasn't she? Uh, <laughs> But later that year, you then went to India and you played a couple of one-day internationals and also made your test debut um, in a test match where you actually won by two runs. Um, What sort of experience was it like playing in India? Yeah, it was, uh, obviously, it was very young in my career. You know, I was very young. I'd not been abroad without my parents. Uh, it was uh, in those days, we, because of the test match cricket that was being played predominantly, it was more test matches than than ODIs. We were away for something like seven weeks, I think. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's an ext- it's like an extended family being away on tour. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that you have in common with your colleagues are that you all love cricket, but we're all very different individuals in, the, in those days. Days. We weren't professional cricketers. We were, you know, we had some of us had jobs, some of us had full time jobs. I had casual jobs just to try and get some income. Uh, but whilst away on tour, I, w- I wasn't paid. Uh, so uh, obviously, it was a very different environment. But uh, out there in India, uh, for me, it was an absolute cultural shock uh, because, you know, I'd, I'd never been abroad. I'd never really been to anywhere other than, than Spain, I think. So, you know, for me, it was a very different experience. Absolutely loved every minute of it. Uh, you know the uh, the experience. I think it shapes you, doesn't it? In terms of you know, kind of like putting you in an environment that's completely alien to you, uh, and you know, you've got a job to do. At the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to perform. And you know, for me, obviously, playing Test cricket. Uh, you know, I, I love Test cricket. I'm a bit of a traditionalist, and it's a real test of your skills and abilities. And uh, obviously, the challenges of being in a in a very different country with very different food, with very different uh, climate uh, it was it was definitely an experience and uh, yeah hopefully uh, it helped me progress my career I've got to ask what was the traveling like in those days uh, yep pretty sure everything was made to be a little bit more difficult than it could have been so there were cancellations on flights on trains you know we'd be getting up first thing in the morning and uh, you know in Delhi there was no chance planes were going to take off first thing in the morning with the smoke and the fog so uh, basically uh, you know there'd be long delays at airports uh, I can remember on one of the uh, one of the journeys we had a 17 hour train journey which uh, was wasn't the most comfortable uh, I don't think there were enough uh, seats booked for us. So, uh, yeah, kind of like there were some challenges in logistics, uh, certainly in in uh, in that series. And then the following winter, you were back there again, playing for England in the World Cup. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, uh, to, you know, kind of like two years, massive difference, 95, uh, very much uh, kind of like we, we weren't self-funded. There was a lot of support, which we got from grants. 
to play uh but uh when it when it came to 1997 i think uh what what were the former ecb i think it was a test uh, the tccb uh had put some funding towards uh, and some support towards us and obviously with it being a world cup there were some different funding parts uh so we went from uh interesting accommodation in 1995 into really nice hotels in 1997 with improved facilities but again there was quite a lot of travelling involved for the for the series for the world cup we uh we didn't quite get to the final we lost uh, against new zealand in the semi final but yeah again a very different experience uh just brilliant to play in a global tournament it was my first major experience of a major tournament in terms of the number of teams competing and and knockout cricket really and you were playing with all your heroes against uh, the best yeah. people and the best players in the world Yeah and uh you know in those days there there were some really strong teams uh South Africa was strong uh New Zealand uh Australia India had a really strong team uh and uh yeah Ireland uh and the Netherlands uh were also kind of like you know relatively strong teams as well so it was good cricket there was some good there was some good cricket being played I think in in those days and you played in four of the matches and I know you mentioned the semi-final you weren't in the semi-final but I mentioned when I spoke to Catherine that England lost in that semi-final like a game they we probably should have won. Yeah, I think so. Uh I think definitely uh we we should have won that game. You know, it's I I think, you know, more strategic. Uh I think probably some lessons learnt in terms of uh you know, kind of like that that game overall really. And your international career ended in 1999. You played six test matches and 15 ODIs. Um, you were still only 21. Uh, you must have hoped to have played more international cricket yeah uh, i mean for me personally you know i would have liked to have continued uh, my fitness levels just weren't good enough you know for me it was you know it would have been great to play more cricket but uh, you know I, i you know i'm still very proud of what i achieved in those five years uh, but uh, obviously being a fast bowler uh you, you know you, your fitness levels need to be right up there and there were players who who were much better than me much fitter than me who who took over so uh yep you know it gave me the opportunity to go back into domestic cricket and uh i i really enjoyed actually i i actually stopped bowling and became a batter and uh i wish i'd have done that a few years ago stephen you know earlier than what i did to be honest well, as you say you carried on playing you played for derbyshire i yep. believe between 1997 and 2001 and then you went on to play for Staffordshire until 2008. Yep. And then how did you then uh, decide to take up the role of of an umpire? Yeah, so I I took some I had some serious injuries uh in the 2000s uh some of which put me out for a couple of seasons. Uh and I think, you know, by the time I got to 2000, I think it was 2010-11, I'd kind of like stopped playing all forms of cricket, had a year off, went back and played one more year in 2012. Uh and just wasn't enjoying the game, playing the game anymore. It was something that, you know, I think there comes a time for every individual uh where, you know, kind of like there are other things you want to do. Uh, Uh, and I absolutely I work in cricket uh, but I wanted to stay involved on a volunteer level uh, so I I thought through what I wanted to do uh, I had my coaching badges and I was like I'm not so keen on coaching uh, you know I've scored before I used to score with my brother's team when I was much younger that didn't really appeal but my my dad had been a cricket umpire 
And it was something that I was like, well, you know what? Give it a go. See what I think of it. Uh, So in the winter of 2013, uh, in that January, I took my level one uh, umpiring course with the local association. And uh, I I wasn't connected to a club. I was living in Birmingham and I wasn't connected to a club. So I was linked in with the league, uh, the men's league here and and did my first season umpiring. And it it took off from there, really. So, uh, yeah, it was a good call on my part. So what was what was your early progression then? You said you were uh, umpiring in, is that the Birmingham yep. League, you think? Uh, I started in the Warwickshire Cricket League for the first year and then progressed to the Birmingham League, uh, to which I still officiate in the Birmingham League now, which uh, kind of like probably up until the last couple of years, probably around about 95% of my umpiring had been men's cricket, whereas now because of time and because of where I am, I'm doing quite a lot of women's cricket now. Uh, so, yeah, very different to, to where I started back in 2013. Well, you very swiftly went through the ranks because you've been umpired now at uh, the 2017 World Cup. You've umpired in the T20 World Cups in 2018 and 2020. Yep. Yeah, I feel very lucky, uh, very fortunate. The ICC, uh, the International Cricket Council, uh, placed me on their development panel of cricket umpires, uh, which uh, kind of like that happened in 2015-16, uh, which gave me an opportunity to do some more umpiring and meet some uh, international uh, umpires from across the globe, male and female. It enabled me to umpire in international tournaments, both male and female. And, you know, kind of like from, from my perspective, it gave me a great opportunity just to learn more about the trade I think you know every day you go out and umpire you learn something new either about the game yourself or, or how it's played uh, and uh, yeah I, I certainly uh, kind of like, I certainly uh, relish uh, the opportunity to to stand with different colleagues from different parts of the world to, to really improve my umpiring. And what was it like in 2017 to be umpiring in the Women's World Cup in this country? Yeah, amazing. You know, to to actually uh, 20 years on from when I was a player, uh, you know, to be able to kind of like come back into a tournament and umpire in in a World Cup, uh, it was a great opportunity. And to see the, you know, the growth of the game and to to be part in in, uh, home country was was a very special uh, moment for me. And then, then this year, you've umpired in your first test match, the England and India match at Bristol. And then... You were, you were made the fourth official for the um, Sri Lanka T20 at Cardiff. That that must have been a special moment. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a whirlwind summer really, and and that two week three week window there uh, was particularly busy. Uh, obviously, preparation for my first Test match. Uh, obviously, multi day cricket very different in terms of how you umpire and uh, you know the things around it. Uh, so quite nerve wracking uh, in terms of uh, making my debut on that. It's been a long time since I've I've played Test cricket, uh, you know, and then to go straight from there straight into uh, another environment which. Uh, obviously was a, a great opportunity and an important opportunity really in terms of uh, showcasing that uh, you know kind of like cricket can be uh, a game for all and you know it's important that we we don't just see female umpires in in the women's game so for me that was particularly important to, to showcase that you know females can be part of a, uh, a an international men's game so yeah absolutely uh, felt again very privileged I, I keep saying it but you know I, I I just feel very lucky and very privileged to be given the opportunity. Well, thank you for that. I just wanted to ask you a few questions about uh, umpiring in general now. 
When you were playing, were you a difficult uh, player for, for the umpires? I mean, were you creating loads of rough with your left arm, left arm over? Uh, so uh, obviously I was a fast bowler, Stephen. Uh, so uh, you know, left arm fast bowler. I always thought, you know, once I appealed, things were out, and I didn't quite get the uh, the decisions. So uh, yeah, maybe a few words spoken there in terms of you know what my opinions were on the on the decisions, perhaps. It probably helps you dealing with uh, players like that now, then, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think, uh, you know, for me, left arm over, you know, kind of like DRS didn't exist and reviewing uh, LBWs uh, kind of like are very different now. You know, the introduction of DRS has proven that, you know, different deliveries can can elicit an LBW decision, whereas probably, you know, there was more of a conservative approach uh, when I was playing. So there were less LBWs given to a left arm over bowler to a right-hander. So, you know, kind of like I think, you know, the game has moved forward and, you know, I think we can be, with the, t- with the technology and with evaluating kind of like those decisions, we can be a little bit braver uh, in terms of those decisions. So, uh, yeah, kind of like things have certainly moved on. Yeah, talking about the, the DRS, I often wondered, there's so much data now in cricket. Do you get sort of reports on when you don't get a decision right on and do you get training then, you know, if, if an umpire is getting more wrong than right and things like that? Yep. So all of all of my games this summer were pretty much uh, video analysed with a match referee, uh, a match manager. Uh, so all of my decisions were scrutinised. Uh, most of my decisions were on video, which I have access to. So I'm, I'm able to look back on all of my decisions, just like a player would analyse their uh, involvement. Uh, I, I have mentors, I have coaches, uh, I have colleagues I can turn to who, who I can share that video footage with uh, and just really talk through kind of like the reasons why I'd be given decisions and why you know potentially those decisions might you know in in future I might want to make different decisions and it's just about looking at those tend not to look at individual decisions you know I tend to look at if there's any trends of something because you know I think at the end of the day we you know we've got milliseconds to see something and it's you know we try and train our eyes and put ourselves in the right position and the best position to be able to make the best decision which is it's about that concentration about what we're looking at and what we're looking for but it's also about the preparation you do off the field in terms of the understanding and the interpretation of the laws and the regulations uh, to enable you to make the best possible decision so you know yeah absolutely you know I reflect uh, both you know uh, post-game uh, with colleagues and with match referees, match managers, and then on, on my own reflect. Uh, so there might be something that I'd be working over this, you know, I'm currently in, in winter. So what am I working on over the winter to try and improve, you know, what's been something that's come out of this season that I can improve on for next season. So. Yeah, because we all sit at home thinking, oh, straight away we know it's out or not out and uh, it it's a lot different when you're actually out there in the middle i was going to ask you what what do you think are the the sort of key qualities that an umpire requires Yes, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we need to, you know, they, we need to be absolutely knowledgeable on the laws and the regulations. You know, there's no excuse for not knowing a regulation or a law. The players expect us to know that. And, and our decision making does need to be sound. 
you know, we need to have processes in place that, you know, enable us to kind of like try and make the best decision we can make on the information which we we gather. But I suppose the key skill for me and, and the absolute priority for me is about the relationships, about how you work with the players, about how you communicate things and how you sell decisions, you know, and, and the way in which you do that. You know, you could have a really great decision, but actually if you sell it really badly, you know, the outcome isn't so great. You know, so it's it's all about those relationships, working with people, working with colleagues, working with players, with captains, you know, to really make that game as enjoyable for everybody and as fair for everybody as possible. And, and you know, that's certainly what I was looking for when I was a player. You know, uh, captains and teams don't want any surprises. So if there is something that we can we can intervene in and, and share with with captains and players before things get out of hand, you know, obviously that's that's important. So, so that for me would be the key skill. And how do you deal with criticism? I mean, I know you're on Twitter. Do, do, do you? Is it easy to blank out or? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I think for me, you know, I probably my hardest critic, you know, I don't go out there deliberately looking to make errors uh, or perceived errors. Uh, you know, much of the time, uh, you know, kind of like it's an opinion. I have an opinion as a as an umpire. I've got seconds to see a decision. You know, I know I'm going to make errors sometimes, just like players make errors. Uh, and I think the key thing is, you know, kind of like not to really get too hung up on that. You know, I'd be disappointed if I keep making the same errors because that suggests to me I'm not doing something right in my processes. But, you know, everybody's entitled to opinions. Commentators have a job to do. People are entitled to their opinions. And obviously, sport is quite a passionate game, uh, as, as is, ever, you know, kind of like every sport is passionate. So I understand the frustrations, you know, when, when errors are made, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's part of the game. But, you know, my view is that, you know, kind of like I've got to go out there and I'll try and make the best decision I possibly can and block out. And, you know, the key thing for me is if, if I have made an error in the game or a perceived error, is not to turn that into another one. So it's about dealing with yourself in terms of your resilience, being able to kind of like block that out and move on to the next decision and make a good decision the next time you're called upon. And when you're a, a TV empire, does that require different types of skills as well? Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's uh, umpiring is about processes. So, you know, kind of you set up giving yourself as much space as you can to make the right decisions, having your eyes in the right place and being a TV umpire is processes as well. And they're very different processes. And I suppose, you know, the biggest thing about being a TV umpire, the pressure that actually because you're able to record it, rewind and, you know, request different footage, you know, the perception is that you shouldn't be making errors, you know, and I suppose that adds a little bit of pressure onto that. So kind of like, but again, communication, you know, the communication with uh, the director to ensure that you're getting the right footage. So you are seeing what you need to see you're, you're seeing the best available footage to make the best available decision is absolutely critical and being able to do that in a pressure environment and being able to do it in a clear articulate way so you can actually get to the decision is key really so the communication is is pretty important there but you would encourage if there's a young person thinking about umpiring from what i'm hearing you would encourage them to take up the role Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think uh, if only, Stephen, I, I'd have taken a little bit more interest in the laws of cricket when I was a player. Well, I, th- players I think never I'd have do, probably, yeah. I, I couldn't possibly comment, but, uh, <laughs> you know, some, so, you know, some, some players 
absolutely do know some of the laws and you know I absolutely thoroughly believe that you know it can make you a better player it can make you strategically a better player because you can utilize and understand the game a, a little bit more and it can and it can actually change the way in which you approach certain things uh, you know a good example of that is you know we see a lot of the time where if it's a leg by and there's been no shot offered yeah, of course I'm going to call dead ball, but there's a law which says I don't call dead ball until the fielders have had the opportunity to run the team out if the team are, are running. You know, so if the players knew that, rather than shouting at me saying there's no shot offered, they could be trying to run out the opposition, you know. So it's just little small things like that that, you know, the players could, you know, take an advantage if if they knew the laws a little bit more. I wanted to move on to the hundred. Um, you umpired yeah. in the, the first game and, and the final. I was I was actually at the, at the final and Fabulous. saw a few games myself. We were lucky with the weather on on the final day. We were, yeah. That was a massive boost to the to the women's game. Did you enjoy the hundred? Uh, it was quite possibly the most memorable four weeks I've had ever in cricket. There was trepidation going into the tournament uh, in terms of a new format, not really knowing you know, how that would look, how that would feel. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of hype uh, leading up to the tournament. There was a lot of pressure for, for that tournament to be success. So when I was asked to, uh, obviously, when I was appointed to, to do the first game, I can honestly say I've never been so nervous uh, going into a cricket match uh, because, you know, you don't want to let anybody down. You want to make sure you do a good job. You want to make sure that kind of like the tournament starts off well. Uh, so, you know, for me, there was there was a lot of pressure leading into that day. I had all day uh, leading into it. It was a 6.30 start. Woke up, you know, 9, nine o'clock, 9.30. Sat there the whole day uh, just with my own thoughts. So, yeah, it was quite nerve-wracking. Uh, and, you know, it was just brilliant. Just the, the, whole, the whole thing for the women's game in, in particular. I umpired, officiated in the, the women's games. It just it, it was an emotional roller coaster for me because first of all we saw some great cricket we saw some amazing tight games uh, which is always good for a competition we saw some players who who never really been noted before you know to really make their names on the on the main stage uh, we saw players being selected from England as a result of, of that tournament we saw some overseas players who aren't necessarily household names come over and make an impact in the tournament uh, you know and and you know for me that first game certainly uh, all the way through the first and second innings up until the very last over I, I was at square leg for the final five uh, ten deliveries I was at square leg for the for, for the final ten and uh, it was that, at that point I was able just to look around the the crowd and listen to the crowd it was a tight finish Dan Evan Kirk batted unbelievably well to win that game I don't think you know Oval Invincible shouldn't have really won that game I think Manchester original uh, original should have that was that was where the game was going kind of like it looked as if uh, Manchester originals would get over the line and and the opportunities to just look listen around that stadium and stand in the middle and listen to the crowd cheering for a game of women's cricket was something I could never have foreseen when I was playing for cricket for cricket for England in 1990s. Uh, so credit uh, where credit is due to all of the people that stuck by that hundred and the opportunity and what that has meant for the women's game is just it's yeah it's just mind blowing really in terms of uh, you know incredible uh, and just really exciting Stephen uh, in terms of that. I'd agree with you there. You there with the, the double headers, 
Yeah. Um, the, the, the crowd, the crowd for the the women's final, I think, was was it seventeen thousand or something? Um, yeah. Uh, coverage on BBC television as well, and it really showcased the women's game. For sure. And, uh, you know, the biggest credit to the players, really, because, you know, they made it that environment and they worked really hard over those four weeks. It was quite an intensive four weeks uh, in, in difficult times with obviously some COVID restrictions. There was a lot of testing still. There was a lot of uh, requirements to ensure that we remain safe uh, to, to protect the tournament. Uh, you know, so it was just, it, yeah, it was just an incredible four weeks. And like you say, that the morning of the final, you know, in the lead up for the 48 hours before that final, the weather forecast was just atrocious. Uh, and, you know, I don't think anybody really expected any cricket on that day because there was a severe forecast uh, for rain. And, you know, you wake up and I certainly undrew my curtain in London that morning and, you know, it was absolutely hissing it down. You just think, oh, crikey, this is going to be such a hard day and you know fortunately the cricket gods were with us weren't they <laughs> they were i wondered what you were going to do whether you were going to restrict both games to 50 ball games or whatever because i couldn't see how yeah. you get both games in on the day so they, i mean fortunately there's a uh, there's a cricket committee uh, that decide on uh, major match uh, match days so you know as umpires we just provide information on readiness for play uh, and then it's down to the cricket committee to decide how they're going to branch that out but fortunately we didn't have to call upon them uh, because we started on time which was uh, you know it was a very last minute decision to go on time and uh, yeah we stayed on for a bit of rain but uh, after that there was there was no rain so we were really lucky. And where do you see the women's game going in the uh, next few years after we just had a, a World Cup final T20 where there was 86,000 people at the MCG? Yeah, so uh, I mean, obviously that you know that would that was so disappointing. To you know, I was over in Australia for that tournament. I was officiating in in the group stages, and I stayed on to watch the final. And I was in the stadium on that, and that was just literally before COVID hit. Uh, and you know, the buzz around that game, uh, obviously for the global game, seeing that audience, seeing you know India playing Australia in that final was so exciting and it and you know we thought the momentum was really there and we we're going to build on it and then COVID hit which was really kind of like worrying for the women's game and I think there are still pockets of you know worry for me concern for me personally that you know there are some countries that you know aren't as fortunate as some of the countries in terms of you know we we need to get cricket being played more in in you know, other countries uh, to ensure that kind of like the game continues globally. Uh, and I think, you know, COVID put a bit of a stop on that. And we're still impacted today in terms of what's happening. But, uh, you know, fundamentally, I think, you know, the future does look bright. I think it's being proven that, you know, if you put the games on, if you allow the opportunity to, for them to be aired, you know, that, that people will come and watch. And I think that was something in the 100 that people were coming through the gates to watch the women's game, not just the men's game. And I think that's really important. And the makeup of that uh, wasn't just, you know, male. It was it was a mixture. It was family. And, you know, that's really exciting. We've seen a transition between kind of like the number of girls who are now in want to play cricket, you know, in, in uh, some programs, uh, recreational programs, which are really important. Uh, and I think what's, you know, what's absolutely key is we continue to build on that and we continue to kind of like show that exposure, show that visibility, increase in the number of professional female cricketers 
is is really important uh, and that's something that needs to happen not just within England it needs to happen globally as well and and you know hopefully the future is very bright uh, that you can honestly say cricket is a game for me as a female you can see a career opportunity and you can see that there's potential there in that pathway so that's really important and you've got the Commonwealth Games um, in 2022 as well which is, uh, features cricket Yep. Uh, and again, that's just women's cricket T20. Uh, obviously, a different makeup of teams that qualify for that because of the Commonwealth. Uh, so you're getting teams such as the West Indies don't compete as a, a, a as a overall team. It's a specific country uh, that have qualified. And I think also as well, you know, look, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, isn't it, for, you know, the England players to play in a Commonwealth Games on their home soil. So I think that's a really exciting time, which hopefully the England Wales Cricket Board can, you know, take full advantage of in terms of kind of like really growing the game and promoting the game not just uh, in England but specifically in the West Midlands and in Birmingham as well that would be really exciting and women and women's umpiring surely there's no reason why the likes of yourself couldn't be umpiring a, a men's test match yeah, I think uh, what's what's really important is, you know, kind of like there needs to be visibility of more female officials. And I think in the 100, Stephen, you know, kind of like three other female umpires uh, were on field uh, and had DRS experience, which they've not had before. So it's ever increasing in the women's domestic, domestic professional competition. There were 10 female umpires, including myself, in that tournament. And I think that's really important to have that visibility, to have more female umpires exposed to the professional game I think what's really important is moving forward you know uh, just like players and just like coaches you know they uh, people see it as a genuine career opportunity and and uh, a genuine career challenge really and I think ultimately you know in my opinion cricket umpiring isn't gender based it shouldn't be gender based there's no reason why males or females shouldn't be umpiring men's or women's cricket reverse really it's about the skill sets uh, there are some slight differences between the men's and women's game but it's about skill sets of the umpires to fit into the relevant games but you know in my opinion absolutely there's no reason why a female shouldn't be umpiring and and other countries uh, some countries are already have females in their in their professional men's game uh, so somebody like a uh, Kim Cotton who umpired the final in New Zealand she umpired sorry the Women's World Cup final in Australia but in New Zealand her home country she's now on their first class panel so you know an umpire in men's cricket I think she did a bit of the super smash over the weekend you know so so it's there but the visibility of more female umpires is really important and to see it as a career opportunity. And finally, we're coming up to both the England and the women's ashes in Australia. What's your thoughts on the on the two series? Uh, the men's and the women's series. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody wants to play. As a player myself, you want to play in an Ashes uh, challenge. You want to pitch yourself up against the Australians. You know, you know, from a from a uh, men's and women's perspective, you know, there are there are pros and cons for each team, aren't there? In terms of uh, that, you know, it's I think it's finely balanced. Uh, I think certainly, uh, you know, kind of one of the advantages uh, is obviously Australia will have a home advantage uh, for the women they've just come out of the women's big bash uh, the final was at the weekend uh, so there's opportunity there for those uh, for those players to you know uh, work on some areas of their game and get themselves into some form 
leading into the tournament, whereas obviously the England women, you know, uh, we're currently sitting here with snow on the ground. So very different in terms of preparation, you know, so obviously that would be a bit of a home advantage. I think it's great personally that there's a test match involved for the women uh, as well as multi-day. So you've got T20, you've got ODIs, you've got uh, a test match as well. So I think, you know, having that opportunity and, and also as well for the women, it's a great opportunity that the England women's A team are also touring at the same time and playing in a series you know so there's real great opportunity which obviously is leading into the Women's World Cup in New Zealand in in March and April so uh, exciting times certainly for the England women Uh, and uh, yeah uh, for the men's obviously you know an Ashes challenge is always a challenge. Do you think it's going to be tough for both both teams? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Australia, if you look at Australia for the women, uh, if you look at their win record, you know, they're an incredibly great team with a, with a depth, uh, as well. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, England are certainly up against the best in the world. And what does the, the winter bring, bring for yourself? Yep. So, uh, I work full time. Uh, so I'm now back uh, working full time. I did a lot of cricket over the summer. So for me, it's uh, just about, you know, uh, first of all, my my full time job, which I'm fortunate enough to be working in cricket uh, in a different area. So I'm back back working full time. But also as well, uh, as a volunteer, I help and support new umpires uh, through my local association. Uh, so I do some tutoring of, of new umpires uh, and there'll be some fitness in there, Stephen. Uh, there'll be some golf if my golf course reopens uh, if, it, if it stops snowing at some point uh, so so yeah it's pretty much uh, catching back up with family and friends work and and golf and just preparation for next year at this point so are you still working for the ECB then in your professional yep. capacity yeah Yep. So uh, I work for the England Wales Cricket Board uh, as a regional facilities manager. So uh, I support the recreational game in in the north of England uh, and I help and support clubs with grants and facility improvements. So, yeah. and, what, and, what, and what's your golf handicap then? Is- uh, yeah, I'm, away, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty proud that I've managed to hold on to my 14 handicap. So, uh, yeah, considering I don't play much in the summer, I'm I'm pretty pretty proud of that. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the Paddock and Pavilion. You've certainly Thanks, seen seen some quite dramatic changes in your uh, cricketing career. I mean, when you first started playing, um, women were must have been playing in skirts uh, rather than trousers, yep. and now you're seeing. Women officiating in um, you know top level men's cricket, and and your own particular career going from a seventeen year old playing for England to now being the fourth official in an England men's international. Yeah, I have to pinch myself, and uh, certainly along the way, you know, there's been uh, there's been points uh, certainly in the women's game that have been you know kind of like real points which have made a big big difference. And I think you know that skirts to trousers, there was a lot of controversy when when that happened. There was a lot of pros and cons for it. I think moving into coloured kit as well, rather than just whites, is really important. Uh, so yeah, there's been a lot of uh, trigger points through the year through the years that's really kind of like made the game. Uh, what it is today and I think uh, you know offering I think back in 2014 full professional contracts for the women was was a real land landmark moment well thank you again for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion thank you thanks Stephen take care thank you thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion you can download the show on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher and spotify follow us on twitter facebook 
and now on Instagram at the pad and path. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.